John chapter 4, and I'll read verses 1 through 42 to open up today. Yahweh, educate us, Father Yahweh. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my strength and my redeemer. John chapter 4, verse 1. When Yeshua knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Yeshua himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee, and he had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Yeshua, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well it was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Yeshua said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Yeshua answered, If you knew the gift of the Almighty and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Yeshua said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Yeshua said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you, Judahites, say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Yeshua told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Judahites. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. The Almighty is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will explain everything to us. I am He, Yeshua told her, the one speaking to you. Just then His disciples arrived and they were amazed that He was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the men, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. 
But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Yeshua told them. Don't say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. So I've been teaching about the many strong righteous women in the Bible for the last couple of months. And I have really enjoyed studying and teaching this. I have never heard a series like this preached before. So I decided to take up the task. And it has been very rewarding and I have learned so much. Sometimes I go into a study and I wonder if I will learn anything new. I think that. Are you going to learn anything new, Matthew? And I don't know why I wonder that because I always learn something new when I study or restudy a subject. That's because this is the living Word. And I don't believe that there's ever a time that you can pick up this Bible in a genuine and humble spirit and not receive something from the Father. I guess sometimes you just think that you know something pretty well, but when you dig deeper, you find more treasures in Yahweh's Word. I have received some messages of encouragement during the series and these messages have helped me realize that I made a good decision to teach on this subject. I'd like to just share two of them with you today. One sister sent me this after last week's lesson. It was a private message. I asked for her permission to read this. And she said this, I needed to hear these messages. It's difficult to be a woman and feel a call from Yah when so many people don't think a woman can do much of anything for Yah. Some things my girlfriends have had said and done to them have been awful. Myself as well. It's so helpful to hear a man of Yah speaking and saying that women are not second class or slaves. It helps me know that I'm not wrong to do Yah's work. I had another sister post this after one of the lessons. This was a public post, so I'll read it. And she said this, As an abuse survivor, I appreciate your series on women. I wish more people would hear the truth of how Yah created women to function. It would end the domestic abuse and stop the generational dysfunction being passed down. I'm a speaker and a radio host along with being a writer. I speak on the roots of addiction, And I believe much of the trauma is stemming from not understanding how Yah created us women. The porn addiction, the objectifying women, and the sex slave trade, etc. 
is due to the distortion of His Word. That's heavy, but the Word of Yahweh is healing people. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I've also had a few people contact me and say, Brother Matthew, I've never thought about some of the things that you've presented in these sermons and that it was changing their mind on some of the ways that they viewed women. Well, here's a secret from Brother Matthew. I had never thought about some of the things that I presented either. <laughs> but that's why we study. And then we restudy. And then we go back and study the same subject again. We study these things out of the Bible. So I open today with a lengthy reading in John chapter 4 about the Samaritan woman that Yeshua met at the well. It is the longest conversation or encounter that Yeshua has with someone else that's recorded in the Gospels. And I bring up this text because it is another text that focuses on a woman and I believe that this text gets twisted and distorted sometimes making the woman out to be something that she is not. I'll explain that here in the lesson. Now we do learn in this text that customarily in the first century it was not proper for a man to speak with a woman in public. Some tradition forbade a man from speaking with his own wife in public. Now that's ridiculous if you ask me, but people loved their traditions back then just as much as church folk love their traditions today. What Yeshua did here was out of the ordinary when He spoke with this woman. Because in verse 27, we just read, when His disciples arrived and saw Him there at the well talking to this woman, it says they were amazed that He was speaking to a woman. Now that wouldn't be said if it was ordinary. Yeshua broke custom here and spoke in public with a woman. As I mentioned last week, I gave a few quotes from Jewish history where first century Judaism had a very low view of women. Women were seen as a snare, and Jewish men would often assume that if a woman came up to them and wanted to talk to them, that she was automatically trying to be seductive. They would also view any man that would speak in public with women as having unlawful desires. But our Messiah did not care what anyone thought. He reached out to this woman and He revealed Himself to her as the Messiah. So Yeshua also broke custom by asking a Samaritan for a drink of water. In verse 9, we read the woman saying, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Then it says, some say the woman says this, some say the author says this. It could go either way. Then it says in verse 9, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, the word associate here does not mean that the Jews never interacted with the Samaritans. Verse 8, just before this, tells us that the disciples had went into the Samaritan town of Sychar to buy food. So they bought food from the local Samaritans in the town. The Jews would interact with the Samaritans in matters of buying and selling, commerce, but they would not sit down and have table fellowship with the Samaritans. They would not accept a favor from the Samaritans, and they would not have them as close friends. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for associate or have dealings with here in John 4 is actually used in other Greek literature in reference to the sharing of a cup or the sharing of a bowl in eating. Why was this? Well, it started way back in the book of 2 Kings, as it's recorded for us, 2 Kings chapter 17, when the northern tribes of Israel were taken captive by the Assyrian king 
because of their sins against Yahweh. Yahweh had put up with them and had mercy on them and put up with them over and over again. Finally, Yahweh said, I'm fed up with you. And he allowed the king of Assyria to come in and ransack the land of Israel. And the king of Assyria took captive a large majority of people from the ten northern tribes of Israel. And he replaced those people with foreigners from about five different lands, non-Israelite lands. And he took those foreigners and he put them in northern Israel and he took the Israelites and he put them in the foreign lands. And Yahweh allowed this to happen. When these foreigners first came to the land of Israel to live, they had no clue how to serve Yahweh. And this was Yahweh's land. This was the land that Yahweh gave to Israel. And so because they did not know how to serve Yahweh and they did all these crazy things in the land, you know what Yahweh did? The Bible says He sent lions among them and it killed some of them. And I can imagine that was quite an experience to have lions come into the land and kill the people. Well, after this, the king of Assyria sent back a priest, a Levite, that knew the laws of Yahweh and knew the customs of the land. And he intended for this priest to teach these foreigners that lived in northern Israel, that lived in Samaria, he wanted to teach these foreigners the ways of Yahweh. After a while, learning from the priest, the Bible says that the people began to fear and worship Yahweh but they would still fear and worship their other mighty ones along with Yahweh. So they kind of had one foot in Israel and one foot still in their foreign customs. Second Kings 17.29 gives us the first use of the word Samaritans in the Bible and it's speaking about these people that the text is talking about from these other lands. Now in the removal of the Israelites from their land and the settling of foreigners in the land of Israel, intermarriage between the Israelites from the northern kingdom and the foreigners from other lands eventually took place because not every Israelite was removed from the land and not every foreigner was removed from, from their land of origin. So eventually intermarriage took place. Children were born and you eventually had a group of people living in the cities of Samaria in the northern land of Israel that were either of a mixed lineage, Israelite and foreign nations, Assyria, Babylon, Kuth, things like, like that, or they were either a complete foreign lineage. Uh, this background explains why John 4 verse 9 says, For the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Many in Judah and southern Israel built up an animosity towards the Samaritans due to their sketchy origins. So this is why there was animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. By the time of Yeshua in the first century, most of the Samaritans actually only followed Yahweh for the most part. They had slowly over time abandoned their worship to other Elohim, but there were still some doctrinal differences between the Samaritans and the Judahites. A big difference was the place of worship. Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. The reason they did that is because that's where the temple stood, the temple that was rebuilt in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. You can read about this in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But the Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim. In John 5 verse 20, when the Samaritan woman tells Yeshua, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, the reason she said this mountain is probably because they were either nearby or maybe even could see Mount Gerizim from their location there at Jacob's well. Mount Gerizim is mentioned two times in the book of Deuteronomy and both times it's mentioned in a positive light. It's said that Mount Gerizim was the Mount of Blessing 
where the leaders among the tribes of Israel would stand and bless the people. So the Samaritans took these verses as saying Mount Gerizim was the chosen place of worship. And it probably stemmed heavily because they were not allowed to be at the temple. And so they came up with another location. They, at one point in history, actually built a temple on Mount Gerizim, but it was destroyed by some of the Judahites. And you can look up Samaritans today, and there actually are people that live in Samaria, in the land of Israel to this day, that still worship on Mount Gerizim. And they actually still slaughter the Passover lamb every year, like we do, but they do it on Mount Gerizim. Some people think that the Samaritan woman was an Israelite because she tells Yeshua in verse 12, I believe it is, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself. And so she references Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, as our father Jacob. But all this proves is that the woman believed that her father or her ancestor was Jacob. It's possible that she had some Israelite blood in her, but she was still part foreigner. All Samaritans that worshipped on Mount Gerizim at this time, all of them looked to Jacob as their father or their ancestor because by this time they had all been taught the ways of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's most likely why she used the term our father Jacob. But what all of this teaches us is this, is that Yeshua went to people that others did not want to go to Yeshua bypassed both the gender rule of the day, not to speak with a woman in public, and he bypassed the ethnic rule, not to ask for a cup of water from a Samaritan. And he ministered and he revealed himself to people who were deemed the least of these. The people that some would not touch with a ten-foot pole, Yeshua would embrace in love and gentleness and humility. After Yeshua tells the Samaritan woman that he has this living water springing up to eternal life, I wish I knew her facial expression when he told her that because she's there drawing actual water out of the well and he says, I've got living water. If you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. But she tells him, when he mentions this living water, she tells him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. And Yeshua says, this is verses 16 through 19 again, he says, go call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Yeshua said, for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. And then she begins to ask him questions about true worship. As soon as she recognizes or realizes that he's a prophet, she starts asking about worship. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say Jerusalem is the place to worship. And Yeshua says the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I believe the contrast is it's not a particular location where you have to worship the Father, but it's about spirit meaning the heart and about truth meaning the mind. You worship Yahweh in heart and mind no matter where you're at. You can look to Him. You can call upon Him. You can be His child. It's not about locations. It's not about temples. I don't want to get into that too much because I have more to talk about in relation to the Samaritan woman. I want to think about the comments about her many husbands here. Now what happens 
is most commentators come to this text and they read that section and they automatically assume that the woman is this promiscuous harlot. She's running around on her husbands. She's stealing other people's husbands and she's shacking up, as they say, with the man that she's currently with. I just listened to a sermon this week where a very popular preacher in, in America today, he called the Samaritan woman a husband-chasing tramp. Now the text doesn't call her that. But that's what this pastor called her. And, and a lot of commentators, not all of them, but a lot of them go that route as well. But I want to notice a few things here. Number one, Yeshua, in, in this entire chapter, in John chapter 4, Yeshua never says anything like this to her. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. He never says any of that to her. And these are things that He says when He encounters people who have been living in sin. Now, in John's Gospel particularly, He says it a lot about people living in their sins. As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, in John chapter 5, when a man is healed there at the pool of Bethesda, he tells him, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So Yeshua is not shy about addressing people who are living in sin. But he doesn't do that here in John chapter 4. Nothing is mentioned about sin, or I forgive you of your sin. The Samaritan woman here is seen as scripturally inquisitive, she asks about true worship in verses 19 through 20. She knows about the coming Messiah, which means she's educated in the Scriptures. Verse 25. She gets so excited after her encounter with Yeshua that she leaves her water jar, it says, and she runs back to town. The water jar that she had brought with her to draw water, actual water, from the well. But she leaves that there and she goes back to town because of her excitement. And then she testifies, she gives testimony or witness of the Messiah to the Samaritans. And we read in verse 39 that many Samaritans began believing in the Messiah because of her testimony. So they must have viewed her as a credible witness. There's nothing in the text at all that leans in the direction of her being a shunned harlot or a known sinner in her community. We assume that because of the statement about the husbands, but that stems from a lack of understanding the Torah, understanding the cultural context as well. That's the only thing people go on. Let me give you another option here to look at this. I think many interpreters miss the context of the Torah and the context of the culture because for starters, the Torah allowed a man to divorce his wife if she found no favor in his eyes because he had found something indecent in her. And basically what that means, I taught on this in detail in my series on divorce and remarriage, basically what that really means is something he just doesn't care for. Something he doesn't like. And the reality is, is that the law of Yahweh in Deuteronomy 24 was put in place to protect a woman from a hard-hearted man. And Yeshua said that Moses commanded the hard-hearted man to give that woman that he did not like a bill of divorcement so that she could go and be another man's wife because women deserve not just to be married, but to be cherished and loved. Most people don't understand that about the law of divorce, but it was called any cause divorce in Yeshua's day and it was practiced by many in the land of Israel that did not make the men righteous for doing it, but Yahweh allowed it to protect the woman in a patriarchal society. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that this woman could have been divorced multiple times. As a matter of fact, the law itself in Deuteronomy 24 speaks of the woman being divorced twice. 
The law itself says that she finds no favor in her first husband's eyes because he's found something indecent that he doesn't like about her. And then it says he gives her a bill of divorcement. He puts it in her hand. He writes it out. He sends her out of his house. She goes and becomes another man's wife. And then the latter husband hates her. The NIV says dis dislikes her. And he does the same thing. So the law itself in Deuteronomy 24 mentions a woman being divorced twice. That is a point that few commentators consider to be a possible reason why the Samaritan woman had been married more than once. But that's a legitimate reason, scripturally. Then there's the cultural context. And this is not something that we are comfortable with in our American culture. Okay, A lot of times, different cultures are not comfortable with how other cultures do things. But, although this doesn't happen often in American culture, in ancient Israeli culture, women would often marry men that were older than them by a good bit. This was done in order to provide women that were just starting their adult life stability. So even later in life, a divorced woman would, see, would seek an older man to take care of her. So it was not uncommon in Israel to find a woman married to a man who was 15 or 20 years older than she was, maybe even more sometimes. Now, I first ran across this years ago when I studied about Miriam and Yosef. We call them Mary and Joseph. Yeshua's parents here on the earth. History records that Mary was a teenager when she was betrothed to Joseph. And then the last thing that we ever read about Joseph in his active life is in Luke 2 when Yeshua is about 12 years old. And then we don't read anything else about Joseph in the Gospels of him being active in the life of his adopted son. Most scholars believe that the reason we don't read anything else about Joseph is because he was older than Miriam and he died soon after that encounter there when Yeshua was 12 years old when they left him back in Jerusalem at the temple. Remember, and they said, we left and why are you here? And he said, didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house? Or some translations say about my father's business. Speaking of Yahweh the Father. Well, Joseph died because he was older than Miriam. And in those days, a man was considered to be old when he was in his 40s. These are things that you don't get by just haphazardly reading the Scriptures. But you can verify this in Luke chapter 1 where Zechariah was a priest after the order of Abiah. And he was inside the temple doing his priestly duties. And then an angel came. I remember an angel came and told him him and Elisheba, Elizabeth, was going to have a son. And Zechariah calls himself an old man. If you know the Torah and the book of Numbers, a man could serve in the priesthood from age 30 up to age 50. Then he was no longer eligible to do the duties of the tabernacle. So Zechariah wasn't past the age of 50, but yet he was called an old man. And that's because... Life expectancy has not always been the same as it is today. Uh, the average man and woman today um, in America uh, die in their late 70s. That's on average. That's not a general rule, but on average. Back then, the life expectancy wasn't as good as it is now. My point is that the Samaritan woman could have lost multiple husbands to death as well as been divorced more than one time. Life could have been bad for her, going through divorces and losing husbands to death. 
And this could be the reason why it is said that she had five husbands. And I want you to recognize, too, that Yeshua acknowledges all five of them as husbands. You have had five husbands. These were not affairs on her part. These were not adulteries on her part. They were all husbands. And I think Yeshua was reaching out to someone who had been through a rough life. Uh, not a life of sin, although we're all sinners to some degree. But I don't believe this woman was known as a sinner in the community. I think she'd had a hard life. Now, what about the man that she was currently with? The one Yeshua says, the one you're with now is not your husband. Does that have to be a sinful relationship? Now, things like this don't make me popular, okay? And I'm not trying to bring something up to just stir a pot or anything like this, but I'm, I'm a minister, so I have to teach the whole Bible. This is not popular, but it was common for women in Hebraic culture to be handmaidens or concubines. Now, a concubine or a handmaiden is a woman who lives with a man and is sometimes a servant to the wife, the legal wife of that man, and she is taken care of by that man, but she's not legally his wife by contract, by ketubah. There is no ketubah between a man and his concubine, but the man provides for the woman, and he can even have children by the woman, and it is never called a sin in the Torah. Righteous men like Abraham and Jacob had concubines, and they were never condemned for it. I know some people do not like me to bring up stuff like this, but it's a biblical fact, and it should not be forbidden from being a possibility here in this story, in this context. My point is this, is that we should not just go to the text and assume that the Samaritan woman was this promiscuous, adulterous harlot. The harlot that plays the harlot on her husband in Proverbs. We shouldn't just assume that. Especially when there's nothing else in the text besides the talk about her husbands that leans in that direction. One man asked me, why would Yeshua even bring up all that about her husbands if it wasn't to get onto her or to scathe her for her behavior? And I will tell you why. It's because the very next verse, she says, Ah, I see that you're a prophet. He was revealing himself to her as a prophet. And remember, prophets did not just prophesy about future events. They could tell you about things in your personal life that nobody else knew because they were given direct revelation by Yahweh. And as soon as Yeshua tells her that He knows about these things in her life, immediately she says, I can see you're a prophet. And so what does she do? She starts asking about true worship. Our fathers teach this, you Jews say something else. What's the best way to worship the Creator? I believe that Yeshua spoke about her life to show her He was not an ordinary man. There are certainly women in the Bible who were known sinners in their community. There were men in the Bible who were known sinners in their community. Uh, one example of a woman who was a known sinner is in Luke 7. Remember I talked about her last week where she came into the house of the Pharisee and she got down beside Yeshua's feet and she was weeping so much that she covered His feet in her tears and she began to wash His feet and then dry them with her hair. The text in Luke 7 says that this woman was a sinner. And some people might say, well, haven't we all sinned? Aren't we all sinners? That is true in one context, but for the Bible to point out that this woman was a sinner means that she was a habitual known sinner in the community. Now, Yeshua forgave her for her sins. She was repentant. She was humble. And the Messiah forgave her for her sins. 
but the Bible has no qualms in pointing out when people are known habitual sinners. The text in John chapter 4 doesn't do that. And I think there are better ways to view this Samaritan woman than we have heard in history. The Samaritan woman at the well is one of the first people, if not the first person, that Yeshua revealed himself to as the anointed one, the Mashiach. And she left her water pitcher because she was excited. And she went into town and she said, I met a man that told me everything about my life. Could this be the Messiah? And that's the only little sentence that we get, but I guarantee you she said a lot more than that. Because many other people in that town believed upon the Messiah because of what she said, her testimony. I believe she was a good woman with a credible witness. She'd had a rough life, but she was well respected in her community. The point of Yeshua's encounter with the Samaritan woman is not that she was a known sinner who needed to repent. The point of his encounter with that woman is this. He went against tradition. Calling anyone he wanted to, no matter who they were, male or female, no matter what their family background was, their ethnicity, a Samaritan. Most Jews didn't deal with Samaritans. Jews would not ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water from a well, but Yeshua went against that. And he did just that. He asked for a favor from her. No matter who you are, as I close today, no matter who you are or how you are or have been viewed by other people, Yahweh can use you in His plan and for His glory. You do not have to be rich you do not have to be popular. You don't have to be a king. You don't have to be a man. You don't have to be of the right lineage. You don't have to be a certain skin color. All you have to be is a willing vessel and a ready vessel to be filled up with the love and the power of Almighty Yahweh. And then you can go out and testify about what He has done for you. Isn't that wonderful? Yahweh, Father, bless Your Word to our hearts today. Thank You for Your Messiah. And thank You for the great women in the Bible. I love you, Father Yahweh. Thank you for sending us your son. Amen. Yahweh bless you.